0: Forty-three, District One, Engine Fifty-One, Response: Cardiac
1: Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick. Joining me today is our Medical Director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon, Casey. And we're going to take a welcome detour away from COVID viral illness and move back to a topic that we had discussed really heavily around the office pre-pandemic, around one of our credentialing exams, discussing oral exam scenarios. And this is one that really strikes fear in all of us whenever we've been in the situation of having to go through the oral exam. I did mine in 2008 in Chicago and still remember that day. It was miserable at best. And really, the the, the medics tend to hate these. They're a necessary part of the madness of credentialing because it gives us as the medical directors a chance to listen to the paramedic verbalize, take in multiple streams of information and how do they manage that? How do they problem solve? How do they attack an undifferentiated, difficult patient? But yes, they're fake. They're stilted. They're artificial. They're not real life. I've screamed all of these things at the wall many times throughout my career training for these things, but complaining about them got me no No closer (laughs) to mastery at all. So what do we have to do to deal with this, to compartmentalize it and to get through it and get over it? Cause really it's one piece of the credentialing one piece of, you know, moving up the ladder that we have to go through. Number one, we have to learn the rules. You have to know what the rules are for the oral exams and that's going to be service specific. MCHD, we have our own you know, oral exam set up, but, but most EMS services out there are going to have something similar. So learn your rules. Then make a plan. You have to have a framework and a plan together so that you can attack it in an organized fashion. And then use your resources. Use all of the resources that are available to you. That's both in studying and during the actual exam session itself. And don't try to reinvent the wheel. Folks out there have figured out ways to, to process this information, cheat sheets, the homunculus, you know, chalk human drawing that we use. Uh, we provide our medics here at MCHD. Use these things and don't make it into a new process each time you have a different scenario. So what are some recurring tips that apply across all cases before we get into specific stuff some things that you can tell the medics listening out there dr dixon that really apply over and over and again and again
0: yeah i mean these are the most common things that you and i have both experienced and messed up in our career and we've also seen people kind of go off the rails here uh, and other places when we're teaching this and the first case is to always address the life threats first right the first thing you have to do is walk in, what we do all the time, but we just don't have to verbalize it, right? You assess stability and then verbalize that. So always address the life-threatening issues first and then verbalize you've done that and then move on down the road. Start taking your history. Use your surrounding resources, right? Use bystanders, use first responders. Remember, in most of these scenarios, you're being tested as the lead medic, the lead nurse, the lead doctor. Plug in your level of provider And everyone else is there to support you on the team. So you can assign tasks. You don't have to do every IV yourself. You don't have to do every intervention. You can assign those and think through the case. Always do a full exam every time. Don't forget back, neuro, perineum, things that are in skin, things that are just, we just overlook. And that's why Casey and I said we give a, a homunculus, which is basically a stick drawing. And a little note sheet in a way that we organize these type of things to try to give you some some visual cues so you don't miss those. Remember, if you're administering a treatment, always go back and see what effect that had. So every time I do an intervention, whether it's uh, an MDI or it's uh, steroids or it's pain medication, go back and reassess. Take another set of vital signs and re-examine the patient. I think a huge key is if a patient isn't improving, you got to pause, right? And think, why is this patient not improving? If this is truly a, a sustained uh, torsades and I have sync cardioverted in an awake person, patient, why is the patient not changing? Does that usually not work? Right? So if you're getting those cues, it, the, the most common thing is you're going down the wrong diagnostic pathway. You've got to stop. Allow yourself to back up and kind of start over with stabilization, history, complete physical examination, differential diagnosis from that, and then interventions. So remember, always over-verbalize, right? So I always tell people at the end, we do this hundreds of times in the office with different medics, right? Over-verbalize, over-examine, over-history take every time. I mean, it just is really going to help you get through these things. Um, Casey, let's go back to you and talk a little bit about like how do you address the the life threats. Kinda of take him take take the listeners through a, a typical case that you do. Before I get through
1: there, I just Covid crept into this without us even asking for it. You
0: gave him an MDI. I mean, you, I know you it's
1: not to give a neb. I'm so impressed because you
0: know this script was actually written before the covid, and it actually said neb. And I, it was everything I could do to stop myself. MDI. I love it. So we <laughs> we talked about six
1: six kind of recurring themes: life threatening issues, using your surrounding resources, full exam, check in on treatment results pausing when things aren't going the right way and backing up and then over over verbalization. So we're going to take each of those six and talk about them specifically. And first, address the life threats first, just like in real life. This is the one you really can't argue with if you're going to say, oh, this is fake and stilted, not real life. Well, in real life, we need to address life threats first. And just like Dr. Dixon said, normally we do that. It's just that it's just the the fake part is verbalizing it and saying the things that oftentimes automatically get taken care of without us having to say it. Now, that doesn't mean it's not good practice to verbalize. It just means that sometimes real life and the, the oral board scenario don't always add up. But ABCs are going to take precedent. So make a mental kind of problems to fix, quote unquote, list based on vitals and exam, just like we would in any, you know, start or salt triage scenario. If someone's tachycardic, you need to fix that. If someone's hypoxic, you need to fix that. If they're hypotensive, you need to fix that. If they're altered, you need to figure out why and try to fix that. So address shock before the fever, right? Fever is, is a result of the infection, but the bigger problem is going to be the hypoperfusion and the hypotension. Confirm scene safety, right? That can be a life threat to you as the provider. So ask about smells, exposure, safety you know potential risk for you as the provider and oftentimes that can lead you sometimes into the toxin the exposure category if you do have a smell or a potential dangerous situation you know it gets us into that organophosphate poisoning and the most commonly talked about and probably least encountered thing in all of uh, ems medicine not knocking it i'm just saying we talk a lot about it but i talk a lot about it to see it very rarely Um, and then don't forget the basics, get IV access. Basic airway maneuvers are often so rote and they happen so automatically because we're so good at what we do. We don't think to say in the oral board scenario, OPNP airway, chin lift, jaw thrust. And oftentimes those may, may fix the hypoxia. Yeah,
0: If it sorts the problem out, then you're done. You don't need to intubate the patient. So, um, always, always start basic and kind of move up from there.
1: And then don't forget your backup airway plan. You should verbalize that in real life. This is another one that we should probably treat exactly the same in oral board scenario as we do out on the street, and that is have that backup airway plan and, and verbalize it. So address those life, life threats first. Fix hypotension, fix tachycardia, fix altermentation uh, fix hypoxia, and use your surroundings. And, you know, that moves us on into number two and just... Service specific here at MCHD, you know, we're third service EMS. So when I say use your first responders, some listeners out there may be saying, wait, we are the first responders. So that's why the script is written that way. But again, that can be your partner. That can be a bystander. That can be law enforcement. It can be fire if fire and EMS are separate. That's going to depend on who's around. I don't want to make any broad, you know, overarching statements there. But don't forget to use the people that you have and then look around. Allergy bands on patients sometimes can be key, especially in an anaphylaxis situation. They may have a, a, a diabetes bracelet on, and the patient may be altered and, and hypoglycemic. Look for pill bottles, and that can be a cue if someone's altered and potentially have an ingestion situation. Again, nursing home records can often be key. We know that they're often incomplete and sometimes not as helpful as we would hope, but if we're in a in an extended care facility, uh, nursing home, skilled nursing facility type setting, ask about nursing home records and make sure you bring those along with you to the ED. So that gets us through the first two. And now by this point, we've, in this scenario, we've looked at life-threatening vital sign abnormalities. We've looked at our surroundings. Now it's time to look at the patient. So Dr. Dixon, tell us some exam mistakes you see folks make over and over again some of the recurring themes again
0: yeah the biggest mistake Casey is that people don't remember to do an exam they they hop around and they as EMS uh, providers what do we like to do like we're fixated on pupils pupils and lungs I think that's the only two things I see ever examined so the most important things guys is to slow yourselves down and do a complete exam um, remember that as you go by, and I just go, you know, initialize uh, stabilization and verbalize stabilization. If you need an intervention, whether, as Dr. Patrick said, whether that's initiate CPR and get some ACLS going, um, sort their airway out, address their, their hypotension initially, and then remember to always go back. Even if you started with CPR, always go back and do a head-to-toe examination on the patient once you've stabilized that life threat. Remember, examiners don't give you information you don't ask for. So the way I do it is I'll go head and neck. I'm examining the head. What do I see? And if you have a good examiner, they'll say normal. If they say normal, just move on. Right? It's normal. Don't start getting in the weeds on stuff. They may ask you specifically, what are you looking for in the head? Well, I'm looking for trauma. Looking for any deformities. Is there anything with the skin? Um, I'm going to have a look at the pupils. What are the pupils? Right? Uh, If they're dyspneic, you know, don't just listen to the lungs verbalize what their respiratory rate is you know do what is their their quality of their So are they deep um are they tachypnic? are they uh hypoventilating
1: and then think about think about things like edema right with with dyspnea right do they have pedal edema add together your your yeah. your potential puzzle pieces as you're doing your exam right do they have a jvd do they have urticaria right so think about potential processes as you're doing your exam. Where's the the biggest miss?
0: Yeah, it's always the the back, the perineum and and the skin in general. People just don't examine the skin. And then next after that, Casey, I'd say an incomplete neurologic exam. So a lot of times if the patient is not completely awake, you can't do one, but look for, ask the examiner, do I see any gross deformities? I.e. do I see a gross uh, facial droop? Do I see any, any limb uh, asymmetry in the, in the power in the limbs? Um, if the patient's ambulatory, ask the patient to walk, right? Can the patient ambulate? You don't have to get down into the weeds on everything, but verbalize a neurologic exam that's more than the pupils. P- typically, we see people focus on the pupils and they never ask about these other things. So skin, back, perineum, and neurologic exam. Uh, if you treat patients kind of moving on into the exam, into the treatment, remember, always reassess, right? So if you give an MDI, we had NEBS, look at that, done it twice, COVID has snuck in twice, um, repeat the lung exam, right? That's That goes without saying, right? If I do an intervention, I'm going to go back and ask the patient, hey, how are you? And then I'm going to check them and see how, they, how their lungs sound. Uh, if you give fluids, remember to go back and repeat your vital signs. I use little reminders on my, when I make my sheet before any oral exam, vital sign one, two, three, four. And that's a prompt to me to remember, hey, dummy, go back and repeat the vital signs multiple times. You can't repeat them enough. Remember, if you bag a patient or you do any airway intervention, right? Go back and reassess the quality of of the uh, breathing, of the lung sounds, the oxygen saturation, all your vital signs. Um, If you have, just make sure that you reassess that Abnormal exam finding, especially if you've done an intervention, and that you verbalize that to the examiner. Um, you know, Casey, how do you how do you tell? Like we've gone through kind of the, the examination and part of the history. How do you know or how do I know as an examinee that maybe I'm going in the wrong direction and I'm confused? How do you how do you sort that out? Well, this moves into the,
1: into the fifth tip. And that is, you know, don't be afraid of tapping the brakes or shifting to reverse. If you, if you feel like you're stuck, how do you know when you're stuck? Realistically, if you treat the patient or you treat a vital sign or you administer a therapy and you don't get the response you'd hope for, or you feel like the examiner is putting up a roadblock, that's when you really need to back up. Because if I give a MDI formerly known as a NEB, to a patient for shortness of breath, and the patient's respiratory rate goes up, their oxygen sats go down, and their lung sounds are worse, then maybe I need to think about something besides asthma, COPD, bronchoconstriction. Maybe Maybe I forgot my skin exam, and the patient has urticaria everywhere. And you go back and say, oh, wait, examiner, I forgot to examine the skin. Can you give me the skin exam, please? And they say diffuse hives. And then you think, okay, that's why the neb slash MDI did not work. It's because the patient needed epinephrine initially, and not. Yeah, and the typically, a
0: good examiner will will if if I if I want you to to know that you're on the right track, if you do an intervention, I'm not going to make the patient worse unless you're on the wrong track. I'm going to make the patient better. I'm trying to drive you towards. That differential diagnosis and treating the right thing.
1: Realistically, if you give a treatment that's supposed to be given, and the examiner makes the patient worse, then they're just a jerk, and it's not a good exam, really. I mean, that's that's not productive at all. Um, but taking back to a to a more broad overview, you know, there are no extra points for going fast. Pause if you need. Re-examine, repeat vital signs if you need. There's you know, there's not a time limit on most of these now. I I assume you could get too far the other direction, and we don't want to be sitting there for two hours at a time. But invariably, folks finish these up with time to spare. So if you get stuck, you're not you're not in a race here. You know, keep good notes. I see folks that will get so turned around and spun around, and you know, 180, 270, 360 degrees from the start, and I look down at their sheet. And they have no notes and it's no wonder they're confused because they didn't write anything down. They don't have the vitals one, vitals two, vitals three, vitals four written, you know, and that's, that's where your prompt, I would totally advise everyone out there listening to write vitals one, two, three, and four, because if you do your case correctly, you're going to have three or four sets of vitals. You should.
0: Right. And these are, you know, I think a lot of times uh, examinees always think and whether pick your level uh, that you're examining for. Everyone always thinks these cases are like these terrible zebras that are trying to fool you, not really. These are straightforward cases, and the you know one of the biggest ways we go off track is we just don't like ask the patient what they call for, right? If they call for shortness of breath, that's where I start my history and my and focus my physical exam to. right? We're not trying, no one is trying to fool you. Uh, i think of the top five killers or refer back to the serial killer series shortness of breath or a respiratory complaint, I think of PEs and I think of pneumothorax. I think of infections, um, you know, and I think of is it a cardiac issue? Is it some type of cardiac issue that's trying to to sneak past me or dissection? So I I think of things in the chest the respiratory, the top five killers, and I work from there. They're not going to give you a respiratory call and then make it something completely zebra-like, right? So you have to kind of take that information and and try to stay on track.
1: Yeah. As we advance along our our ladder progression, you know here at MCHD, the cases get harder, and sometimes the patient may have two problems. That's potentially possible. Sometimes you may have a double patient, but you know we're not talking about you know Lou Gehrig's disease and ALS here, right? This is going to be a pneumothorax. It's going to be anaphylaxis. It's going to be a STEMI. Now there may be rhythm degeneration that requires cardioversion. You may have to run through um, delayed sequence intubation. The patient may be short of breath and need, you know, IV nitrates and non-invasive positive pressure ventilation, assuming we can ever do that again. You know, there may be multi parts here, but I would agree. We're not talking about some bizarre metabolic abnormality that no one of us can pronounce. Yeah, you're not going to get Addison's
0: of. disease here, no. right? In all these cases, these are going to be straightforward. As Dr. Patrick said, you may have an abnormal heart rhythm that caused a collapse that caused a trauma. That would be a second order case um, for the for the kind of higher skill levels that we have here. But most of them are still straightforward management. If you walk through the case and go by these pearls.
1: Yeah. And I, I really think going back to uh, the serial killer series will be advisable in, in a majority of these when we think about chest pain, shortness of breath, abdominal pain, altered mental status. Those are probably all worth listening to as you prep for oral boards. So to wrap it up, sixth tip, you know, you're not going to have your normal visual clues. That killed me as an examinee. You know, I'm used to having the nurse and having the paramedic and having the patient And being able to see the monitor and being able to see the patient and doing so much of my exam sort of in a, in a mental roundup and through my communication and how the patient come into the room, were they on the stretcher? Did they, did they ambulate? And that just was really hard for me to break through because I had some sort of mental block with over verbalization. And really it's key here. The examiner, like you said before, is not going to tell you anything that you don't ask for if they're a good examiner. They're going to make you ask for it. So yeah, the monitor is going to have all the vitals on it when you are on that run, but in the exam room, you have to ask for each one and make it a habit. I see this over and over again. The key vital sign will be a heart rate of 145 and the patient will ask for every vital sign, but or excuse me, the examinee will ask for every vital sign but the heart rate. And it's just a matter of just run through it, make it rote. Blood pressure, heart rate, pulse ox, respiratory rate, temperature, every time. So after you ask for each of those vital signs, give your team responsibilities. This is another area where oral scenarios in the real world actually overlaps. Um, You know, you need to tell your partner what to do you're not like Dr. Dixon said, you're not on an island here. You've got your, you got your teammates. So tell them what to do. Verbalize where you want the patient. Sometimes this is a mistake I see paramedics make, you know, when do you want to begin transport? When do you want to move them to the truck? You know, maybe you can administer different treatments in the truck, obviously, than you can in the house. We need to alert the hospital. So make sure that you're Verbalizing your radio call. Is it emergent? Is it non-emergent? Do you have a trauma alert or a stimuli alert or a stroke alert? Make sure that you're talking through those things, again, that normally happen on their own. So taking it home, yeah, it's fake. You know, raging against the machine, it's not going to help you pass. I tried, I tried, I tried. Then I studied a little bit and barely passed. (laughs) So I think if I had raged a little less and practiced a little more, I would have been better off personally. How do you improve at a card game? You play and you watch those who are better than you, right? So take tips from those who know. Uh, work with your with your chiefs, your the the upper levels in your service, people that have been through it and worked through it. You know, practice. Talk about it. You don't get better by complaining. You get better by doing. Organize your cheat sheet the same way every time. There's no right way. I'm, I'm not going to try to give you one way here, but your way needs to be consistent. And if you try to reinvent the world, the wheel every time, you're going to get confused and you're going to get spun around. Uh, fix the worst problems first. So worst first. If the patient has you know, a mild cough and their temperature is 100 and their oxygen sats are 60, we need to address the O2 sats before we get to the temp, right? If you treat a vital sign, repeat it. If you're not going in the right direction, that should be a clue that maybe you need to back up. If you treat an exam finding, reassess that portion of the exam. If it's not fixed after you treat it, back up. Maybe you're going the wrong direction. And finally, do a full exam every time. Roll the patient. Look at their back. Look at their perineum. Look at their skin. These are often missed. And neural exam is going to be more than pupils. Finally, get over yourself. It's not about... What's real and what's not real. It's about getting through it. It's just part of the progression, part of um, you know making that next level that you want to that you want to uh, proceed to. So verbalize everything, even the stuff you think is dumb, even the stuff that you think is stilted. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up?
0: No, I couldn't agree more, Casey. I think that I mean I think that over verbalizing does help. I mean we do it when we do our airway checklist. The last thing we do before we intubate a patient in this service is we verbally, the in-charge goes through the checklist of the head of the bed 15, aptic oxidation at 15. You know, is everything set up? Do I have my backup plan? What are the patient's current bottle signs? And then check with your team and say, is everybody happy with that plan? So uh, I think it is helpful and it not only verbalizes and confirms it to me when I say it to myself that I'm doing the right thing, but it also gives the um my colleagues are there with me a chance to go oh wait a minute we forgot to do this so super important stuff uh really appreciate you having me on and doing this one
1: yeah we'll link the mchd oral board cheat sheet for anyone out there who would like to D. we're happy to share if you have questions or comments about this one specifically like to know how we do our oral board exams here at mchd or anything of the sort, please shoot us an email podcast at mchd-tx.org. As always, leave us a like or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We greatly appreciate it and we'll talk to everyone again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe
0: above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod and CompTech.com, Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.